chewing the fat with a, with a guy who was a mate uh, about a decision that I thought was very bad. I was listening and I just about choked on my cornflakes. Tēnā tātou katoa, no mai whakarongo mai, welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's been a big week for ministerial mishaps and we will take you through all the ups and downs for both Marama Davidson and Stuart Nash over the past few days. Spoiler alert, there weren't many ups. I'm an unfamiliar voice for our avid listeners, so let me introduce myself. Call Lillian Hanley tōku ingwa. I'm Lillian Hanley, the One News political producer, and I'll be sharing the host role with Felix week to week. With me, of course, is the most nosy and persistent of New Zealand political reporting, Benedict. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> How You're are a you? very familiar good, good. voice to us. It was yeah. a brutal introduction, Lillian. <laughs> nosy. I'll yeah. take it as a compliment. That's right. I thought that it was a it was a, it was a compliment. Ah, oh, good, good. Yeah, I mean, nosy is good. Benedict Collins, Jessica Much Mackay, Kushla Norman, Kilda. We're all going yeah. to have a bit of a yarn this week about what's been going on. What do you want to kick off with? That's right. Let's jump into it. The big news of the week is former Minister Stuart Nash losing all his remaining portfolios and being removed from Cabinet after an email from 2020 was leaked. Kushler and Jess, you were here Tuesday evening when this played out and Jess, you had to rush to go live into the bulletin. What actually happened? Well, that's right. We'd just been doing the Marama Davidson story that day. So it was quite a big, full-on day. And then uh, one minute to six, we get an alert up on our phones uh, that stuff has broken the story about an email for Stuart Nash. And I think it became pretty evident pretty quickly that we needed to go live into the bulletin. So we called over a camera operator who uh, set up really quickly. And in the meantime, all three of us scanned through this story, got the main points, and then were able to report that. Um, called the Prime Minister's office, called Stuart Nash to uh, try and get reaction. So gathered as much as we could, as quickly as we could, to let our listeners know. And that was really the start of what's been a pretty crazy 48 hours um, where the heart has been pumping a few times. Where we've ended up with this story is that Stuart Nash is probably going to announce that he will retire at the next election. There's not that many people who want a by-election, but he's been stripped of all of his cabinet portfolios. It was an obvious breach. And we got the frustration and annoyance from Chris Hipkins conveyed pretty readily in that um, late-night press conference that he called to sack his senior minister. He did not muck around, did he? Because um, there was no preamble. With the previous press statements that he's read, there's been a bit of a backstory, and I think dismissal was in the first line. It was like, I've gone to the Governor-General. Yeah, this so is, it, it happened so quickly, right? So we, we kind of got the heads up that Luke Malpass, stuff's political editor, had broken the story at just pretty much bang on six. At seven, you know, Chris Hipkins came down and... Um, you know, um, Stuart Nash was toast, right? And MPs, what did you see over the, um, back, you know, banisters? Is it up the levels up? So we're on the black and white tiles, several levels up. A couple of MPs are nosing over, um, watching down, watching, watching it all unfold. Down at, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, he'd been been on his um, on very thin ice. He'd been uh, given several last warnings over the last couple of weeks. What I found fascinating about this is that all this started like just two weeks ago when he made that mm-hmm. silly comment that we talked about last week on the podcast um, to Mike Hosky on that show about how he had called the police commissioner and asked him to intervene. And since then it just snowballs, mm. right? And it's like another thing, then another thing. And it, you know, I think once you're in that position as a minister, you know, anyone with a grudge against you, anyone with a, 
axe to grind, they're going to bring that up now, right? And it just keeps snowballing, and then yeah, just fell, and fell apart. All a completely. bit of an own goal because he called Hosking or texted Hosking, I understand, to say, let me go on the show. I want to talk about how we're getting tough on crime. And doesn't, you were talking, Jess, about Stuart Nash's personal traits, the sort of, the the kind of rip, tear, bust sort of gung-ho approach, and this is what is getting him in hot water. The old act now, think later <laughs> approach of Stuart Nash. I think it, it was also quite, because, you know, Hopkins made the point that actually this offence regardless of all the others, would have still lost him his job. So it became quite a black and white issue. And it's fairly unusual to call a, a sort of stand up on the tiles at 7pm. The last one that I sort of attended was when James Shaw on a Saturday evening called a stand up because he had been rolled by his own party. This was last year. And so, Kusha, you then had to kind of collate all the information that uh, we had available to us and do a story for that evening. Do you want to just quickly run through exactly what you had to look for. What, what What was the key issue here? I think it was explaining for the public, okay, what does um, breaching the cabinet manual, no, cabinet manual, you know, this sounds all very sort of wonky and processy, but he lost fundamentally the confidence of the people around that table. And confidence is absolutely crucial, right? Um the second thing is, um, and Chris Hipkins talked about, the fact that this was donors. Donors were involved. There could be the perception of influence, although these donors have done nothing wrong. So, and Yeah, Yeah. so the, remember this was back, this email, he sent this email back during lockdown, right, when the, the whole country, the whole economy had been put on ice during the pandemic by the, by the government. And they were trying to come up with a scheme basically to help people out who had to pay had to keep paying rent for their commercial premises, right, while they weren't able to trade. And so they're trying to come up with a scheme. He had one idea, but his cabinet colleagues um, chose another idea, you know, and, and he was pretty pissed about that, right? And so this way he sent this this email to these to these guys who were also his donors who, who also had commercial property, and that's the big problem here. Not only did he tell them, you know, that he's angry at the decision that cabinet had gone against what he had wanted, but he sort of explained where different people in the cabinet sat on the issue and what they'd been arguing about. And named and, them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and the reason this matters is because there are a few simple rules with cabinet. There's a cabinet responsibility. You all cite, you all agree that you'll back the cabinet decision. That didn't happen. There's confidentiality at parliament where you don't reveal what's happening behind closed doors. That didn't happen. Uh, you're not meant to be emailing sensitive information with numbers and statistics and details about what happened, that happened. It just, it's mind-blowing that not only did a minister who is experienced and has been around Parliament for a long time thought it would be okay to share all of this information, but then he shared it on his Parliament email, which is available under the OIA, and that leads us to the next layer of this story. <laughs> because actually what happened with this email is it did come up two years ago as part of an OIA bundle, went through Nash's office, went through the Prime Minister's office. Uh, the Prime Minister, current Prime Minister, was at pains to say that it didn't come across the desk of Jacinda Ardern or her chief of staff, but come on, it doesn't exactly take a political genius to figure out that that's a breach of the cabinet manual. Right, and, and it's very interesting that this particular email was determined to be out of scope, right? And, and I wonder whether there's um, 
grounds here for the ombudsman to do some sort of proactive investigation into, you know, because you'd think if you saw this email, you'd be going up and pressing the, the big red alarm button on the ninth floor, like, oh my God, here's yeah. a cabinet minister spilling the beans, right? Excuse me, Chief of Staff, <laughs> I've found something you yeah. might be interested in. Yeah. And will we get answers on this? Will we get answers on whether it was a genuine sort of oversight, you know, cock up or conspiracy? We've asked for a timeline today, and that is going to be coming up. So we'll keep everyone updated on the website because that's probably something that's going to pop up um, after this podcast has yeah. gone to On air. the flip side, I've been talking to um, some people in the Beehive uh, who work in ministerial offices, and they're saying sometimes they will send 20 OIAs a week wow. up to the Prime Minister's office, right? And some of them are huge bundles of OIAs. So then you times that by 20, 20 ministers all sending, you know, it's, it's possible they were swamped, they never picked it up, I don't know, you know, but they are dealing in the Prime Minister's office with huge numbers of um, big, chunky OAAs on a regular basis. But, yeah, you'd think if anyone with half a brain had read that email, it would have, you know, been Raised all over everyone's yeah. radar. One interesting thing to note is today in the Prime Minister's stand-up, he said, yeah, I get it. It came through the Prime Minister's office. Acknowledged that we're going to have a look at why we didn't pick this up. But definitely booted it back to Stuart Nash and said that ultimately this does come down to it was a Stuart Nash office OAA and um, it was a Stuart Nash mistake that he made in the first place. So he is he realises how significant this will be if this looks like a cover-up from the Prime Minister's office or anyone in the Prime Minister's office. So I just think that it was an interesting switch in tone today from the Prime Minister that he's like, yeah, I, I hear you, but this is, this is a Stuart Nash problem. Do you think that's his way of sort of protecting, though, that, that kind of former administration or just... No, it's his way of protecting himself. Right. Yeah, I think, I think he does owe that to Jacinda Ardern mm. and to her chief of staff too, but... But that's about self-preservation too. I think um, bottom line, I guess, is that, yes, this is quite a major mistake. And that was what was so fascinating for me is that just, you know, nobody um, is very experienced and people who have been around the parliament for a long time all made comment that they had never seen something like this uh, before. Do you want to quickly mention, Benedict, you did get that sort of final interview with Nash on his way (laughs) out of Wellington in the airport. Do you want to tell us what that was like? Yeah, so... um I'd had colleagues who had spent quite a lot of time fruitlessly <laughs> yesterday. Um, thanks, Kushler. Um, watching other other flights go out um, up to Napier, hoping we could catch Stuart Nash, who was sort of on the run and keeping a very low profile. Uh, we went up um, just after well, about 6pm for the last flight up to uh, Napier last night and got lucky he was um, at oh, the we airport. Did a, we did have a tip-off that... Anyway, don't worry. Yes, <laughs> yes. Anyway... It, at first, he kind of walked past on his cell phone and ignored us uh, and then told us he really didn't want to talk to us. But he came around and ended up sort of standing there, um, you know, uh, sort of acknowledging, as he had done in a Facebook post uh, yesterday afternoon, you know, that he, that he admits he made a terrible mistake. Um, he's, he's been punished for it. He shouldn't have done it. Um, and, yeah, he's kind of also told us over the next week he's going to, be talking to um, people in his, you know, in his electorate, Labour Party people, talking with his family about re- whether or not he really does want to stand um, at the next election. Obviously, he's never going to be a minister again. Whether or not um, 
you know, I imagine he'll be bowing out and retiring at the next election. That does bring up the um, possibility. He has been uh, getting quite a few phone calls from his um, <laughs> buddies Winston Peters and Shane Jones, uh, which does raise the prospect. Oh, could he uh, possibly, you know, switch forces? Ooh, um, and, twist. and stand for uh, New Zealand First. And we did ask Winston Peters yesterday in an interview um, whether he thinks Stuart Nash could be his ticket back into Parliament. And he told um, us to get off the grass and said he didn't understand what the question even meant. Uh, which With I've a twinkle in his eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, good old Mr. Peterson. Watch this space, perhaps. Um, but moving on, the uh, Stuart Nash story actually completely took over another big story this week, and you mentioned that at the top, Jess, uh, where the Minister for the Prevention of Family and Sexual Violence, Marama Davidson, was filmed by Counterspin leaving the Posey Parker rally. Uh, she was being questioned by the person behind the camera and made the statement, I know who causes violence in the world, and it's white cis men. This happened over the weekend, but gained some traction, and on Monday, the Minister was under quite some pressure. Kushla, do you want to... Tell us what your thoughts were in the morning. Well, I took a look uh, at the reading of this statement just on face value. You know, the words, uh, as you've stated them, um, Lillian, I did some checking around. Well, who does cause the violence in the world? And I think I've the only, been the only one who's been a pedant about this, uh, the definition and the, the wider statement in the world. And... Um, well, if you take a look at something like murder rates, for example, because Madame Davidson, she wasn't specific about what type of violence she was referring to here, was she? Um, so if you take a look at that, then you can see that murder rates uh, in the world are particularly high in the Latin American countries. And for a start on the face of it, you can see that this statement has some holes in it, right? Um, but we know that she was trying to get at something more, something more local, and it was to counteract um, an argument. That, that was being made about the rally, I suppose, right, in yeah. terms of um, a lot of the, the discourse, or a lot of the conversations after the rally were pointing towards violence by the trans rights uh, protesters. That, that's what Marama Davidson, I think, coming from that context, had been trying to dismiss or dispel that sort of conversation. But I think if she had not said white, none of that would have... Or even world, or right? In it's the a, world, it's, it's, either of those again. two phrases. And I think it's important to take a step back. She's a minister. She is held to a um, high standard. What she says matters. And she came out and said that on day two. She's She's a minister of the crown. She has an important role to play and words and the way that you say it uh, have huge implications. And she got that message very, very loud and clear. You can't go around and say that. And I think there's a little bit of context here. Um, she was hit by a motorbike 30 minutes before uh, and she'd just come off a pretty heated and charged protest but at the end of the day you are a minister and sh and and if she had been perhaps if she hadn't mentioned I am a minister yada 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 she might have got a, a get out of jail free card too because she said, would have said oh look as the Greens as co the Greens co-leader mm -hmm. still would have been an incorrect statement but it does it's a different thing but all of these things combined a smart thing to do would have been hey, thank you so much. I've just been at a rally that I feel um, really passionately about. I'm supporting trans rights. I'm not going to talk to you today. Have a lovely day. Uh, if you need to get need anything else from me, please get in touch with my office. 
Jess, I there think this story, though, also posed another challenge for Christopher Luxon's be handling. Benedict, <laughs> very nice yeah. to say that. That's an awful thing to say. Please get in touch with my It, it did, right? It, it, it became two days of sort of coverage too because of this kind of, first of all, is that sort of fact-checking. And actually, uh, to, 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 I suppose, Marama's point, a number of people, you know, journalists who have worked in the area and also family violence advocates who work in the space had come out saying, well, there is some truth to what Marama was saying, right? But then it kind of took, there was a, there was a bit of time in between, you know, the pressure kind of going on her and and coming out trying to clarify the statement and contextualise it and say, yes, there is some truth here, but perhaps I could have said it better, as you say, Jess. Yeah, and, and she has to say facts that are true. Yes. that's the, Ultimately, that's where we land. Yes, but the opposition leader, a white cis man, how do you think he handled this? Because yeah, <laughs> you put was, a question to him, didn't what you? What was really interesting is you could almost see the thought going through um, Christopher Luxon's mind. When we were on our caucus run, when they go into their caucus meeting on a Tuesday morning, um, Jason Walls from the uh, from ZB asked Christopher Luxon, do you think that, uh, that uh, Madama Davidson should apologise? And he said, yes, she should apologise to people that she offended. And then he said, do you think that she should apologise to... Um, white men and you could see the thoughts in his mind going hmm I'm not going to say that as a phrase processing it and saying well I think she should uh, apologise publicly and I said to him at the time I was like do you not see any sense of irony here of for you to ask her to apologise as a Maori woman to apologise to white men and he said oh what, what do you mean and I said look um you know, what do you do? You not see that there's a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a smirk um, when we're putting this to you, and and he didn't. And I think later he came out and and clarified that he meant publicly. But it was a really delicate thing for Christopher Luxon to answer, and I'm not quite sure if he comprehended the the wider context of that as we did in that stand up with him. So uh, it was, yeah, it was an interesting, and and he. You know, he said people that they've offended, obviously that includes white cis men, but it was an interesting, interesting discussion to the be exchange in. exchange too, and also the, the fact that you, you've highlighted he sort of did take a, a moment to think that through and clearly thought, yeah, maybe it wasn't a good idea to say. Yeah, and I think perhaps someone with a bit more political experience may have seen that coming and perhaps in the back room beforehand had talked about that as being a possibility, I didn't feel like he was prepped for that to be a thing in, in my mind. I think that was um, a little bit of a surprise wild card that he had to deal with live, in my opinion. And this all reverberated through the House as well. Um, you had National asking questions. Marama Davidson did perform really well. She was really strong. She got her points across, or that what her original point or her intention was and um, can we play a bit of that clip now violence happens in every community any person can be a victim of violence but we cannot get away from the fact that the perpetrators of sexual violence or family violence are mostly men and so mr speaker now that i have clarified what i intended to say Let's have a conversation about what to do next. I think what was really interesting listening to that is that 
Marama Davison knew she had a little bit of a platform and she was going to take that opportunity to say what she wanted to say. Absolutely. The speaker even said you've, you've more than answered the question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, we're heading into speech territory now. <laughs> um, the, also the bit that I love too, um, and sometimes these things happen in the house, they call things out and it's a little bit hard to hear or you can kind of hear it but can't confirm it. But um, Julianne Genta did uh, on camera when... Louise Upston was asking a question to Marama Davidson. Um, she did yell out, snowflake, and cupped her hand over her mouth, and that was on the wide shot. And it was a um, just one of those moments that you, you know, it's, it's a serious discussion, but it, you were in this environment where Louise Upston was saying, you know, do you acknowledge that you've offended and generalised white cis men? And then um, Marama Davidson's colleagues jumping in to defend her. But it was just a, a very hushed moment in the debating chamber and a very loud snowflake that Which reverberated was around. Which an ironic use of the word, I suppose, in that context too. And then on the Tuesday night, because they're in urgency, rather late in the chamber, you had Simon O'Connor from National um, making a very bad taste and crass, ill-thought-out comment um, on this, so he said that the Nashville shooter. He said, "I'd like to point out to Madama Davidson that the Nashville shooter was not a white cis man." His that clip. Mr. Speaker, I want to uh, start by uh, acknowledging the Christian community actually in Nashville. I know it's another country, but to acknowledge uh, a community, if you will, that I'm wider and part of. Uh, three children and three adults are dead, uh, and the shooter. And just to assure. Uh, that community long persecuted that they are in our prayers. <coughs> I'd also point out to Marama Davison that the shooter and murderer is not a white cis male. And then I've just spoken to Simon O'Connor an hour or so ago. He's now rolled back the statement and apologised for it. He said that it was not a rational comment. It was because he was feeling emotional about this shooting that had affected the Christian community over there. But he did say, well, it was there was a Twitter storm, and I said, oh, Twitter storm. So, so are you sort of buckling to to Twitter pressure here? And would you have not have um, apologised if this had not come to your attention? He said, well, no, I, you know, I I still would have. But he said it was very embarrassing, um, and he apologises for that. But just shows this is getting quite heated. And he did make a mention of um, probably not wise to stray into territory of these. Um, cultural conversations we're having now. I think that's in a, a bit of a, an allusion there to, to cultural and wars. And here's an idea. Don't make a joke about a mass shooting. It's it's horrific, ill-judged and ill-thought-out. It's just, it's not complex politics here. Don't, it's don't make a political joke. Three children it. died yeah. and he was exploiting that. And he's an MP who um, increasingly seems to have a habit of putting his foot in it um, on these matters. You know, remember his... Um, his Facebook post, right, um, celebrating what a good day it was when they um, over, overturned yeah. Roe versus Wade in the, in the US yeah. and um, then got the phone call from the boss to um, take it down and apologise. And I think the thing to remember here is that people might say, oh, look, it's a national MP, backbench MP, uh, that, that's making these comments. Um, why does it meet the threshold of, of being talked about? And th- But the thing is, is these guys are auditioning to be ministers. ministers right? mm. And... 
um, if National wins the next election, that's what all of those MPs are effectively doing. And it feels like every time Simon O'Connor does this, it's a ne- another cross against his name. And I think that people... Some good religious imagery there, Jess. Oh, that was accidental. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, actually, that was on purpose. Well done, me. Uh, but I do think that you have to remember that... Um, that's the context, and that's why we need to get to know these guys over the next little while. Well, interesting. Yeah, okay, that's quite a good segue actually, because I think yeah, we've we've focused you know quite heavily our coverage on two particular people this week, right? Meanwhile, there's been a lot of policy. Um, you know, the house is under urgency, a number of bills, legislation that's all being discussed, and so we kind of you end up sort of perhaps missing a bunch of other things that are going on. We had the uh, National Party's education policy last week. They've, you know, Christopher the three Luxon, are back. <laughs> Christopher yes. Luxon's been really keen to remind everybody this week as well that he'd much rather be talking about the policy that they are now putting out. Um, yeah, Labor's introduced mass arrival policy. Uh, the government had a police announcement yesterday, which kind of went into the ether. Is there anything we should touch on, Jess? Well, just, I mean, I don't want to digress from us talking about policy, but at the police announcement yesterday, they, you know, have a problem, a big problem like Stuart Nash, let's roll in some police puppies just to give everyone a little nice, nice diversion. moment. Yeah, nice yeah. diversion, a nice moment of their day. And we were bending down looking at this little police puppy called Wilco, and I wasn't really paying attention, and I was holding the microphone, and um, the puppy uh, quite liked the look of the One News microphone, and we have what's called a fluffy, which is sort of like a padded, soft um, wind sock over our microphones, and Wilco grabbed onto that and wrestled it away, and I sort of didn't really want to yank it because I I didn't want to hurt the puppy's mouth, and I also didn't want to, like, break anything on quite an expensive uh, microphone either and poor Sam our camera operator was you know having heart palpitations and <laughs> there's a nice big dent and slobber all over our microphone but the best moment was that Pan was, uh, that Sam wasn't thinking about the microphone at all and he just panned up to Prime Minister Chris Hipkins and the police minister and the police commissioner all living their best lives in that moment and let's be honest all three of them haven't had a whole lot to smile about over the last 48 hours yeah, and in other camera-related news, there was a bit of a disturbing incident yesterday. We were um, on the black and white tiles. The ministers were heading into the house. We were chatting with them. Um, we were asking Jan Tanetti, the education minister, a bunch of questions um, relating to education and the teacher strikes. And a, um, another stand-up kind of in, ended, and a, and a camera operator turned around and smacked his camera into the back of her head. She, was, um, she couldn't answer any more questions. She was sort of grabbing the back of her head, saying how much it hurt. Um, and she went into the house, but pretty quickly, I think it was Nicola Willis, um, National's deputy leader, came and took her out because she could see she was um, sort of suffering from this blow to the head she had. Uh, and it kind of got picked up because Jantanidi had a question in the house and the Prime Minister had to answer it for her because she wasn't um, she was too injured from that hit to the head. So that was, you know, um, yeah, really sort of sad to see. Um, total accident, but yeah, not not good to see a minister hurt like that on the um, black and white tiles. And I guess in the wider context of that, we get amazing cover- access to our MPs and ministers in New Zealand, and I think sometimes we forget that, and we just have to be really mindful of moving around, and there's a lot going on. It's a hustle and bustle. It's a changing media environment where a lot of the radio and print reporters now have cameras, so that's extra bodies taking up extra space. 
uh, there's more demand on us as an industry, so we have more people who are there trying to talk to the politicians, and especially on big news days, there's a lot going on, and we just we need, as a press gallery, we need to self-regulate just to make sure that things like that don't happen. Because just, can you imagine in any other country that ever happening? And I just think it's a it's a big deal, and we just need to be really mindful of that, aside from the fact that obviously we never, ever want to see somebody get, get hurt, you know? It's, it's, um, yeah, it's a pretty big thing. All right. I feel like we're getting close to uh, wrapping up. Perhaps we could uh, touch on some pits and peaks. I'll go first. I'd say that my peak actually this week is hosting the podcast. So thanks for having me on, guys. Wow. Um, <laughs> my uh, pit, I will say, is, uh, yeah, not having more time to uh, cover and scrutinise policy. Benedict. Um, my pit was Jan Tanee getting hit in the head. Uh, my peak was a comment, um, Stuart Nash, I mean, you know, he's absolutely, you know, absolutely his, his career's tumbling. He's in all sorts of strife. And I, I, I said to him last night, I said, oh, Christopher Luxon reckons you need to go from Parliament altogether, mate. He's, he says, you need to go, there should be a by-election. And he, he turned around and he said to me, um, Christopher Luxon, he smiles to your face and he stabs you in the back. And he said, and with that, I'm going to go. And he walked <laughs> off to his flight. I thought, oh, he's still giving it to the Nats, even though he's in a whole world of trouble. I loved it. Um, my favourite grab this week was Judith Collins. Benedict was asking her on the bridge saying, hey, look, you know, some of the Labour colleagues still trust Stuart Nash. Does that surprise you? And she said, yes, in the way that only Judith Collins can. And then said, and perhaps some of them believe in Father Christmas as well and it, I was retelling that story to somebody last night and they said did you guys play that on the news last night and I was like oh did we? It, it played out on um, midday, played out on midday, the day before but not, it, not at 6 o'clock and I thought oh that's going to be problematic for a lot of children that might be watching <laughs> the news so suddenly had that thought that luckily Santa's real kids yeah Santa is totally to real and if, and if you're letting your kids listen to this podcast um, I am so impressed with your parenting <laughs> I have to say did you have any? Oh, so I'm going to go as as a pit, a bit of a nerdy processy thing. But look, less than 24 hours to submit on the second bill related to cyclone recovery. There is outrage in constitutional quarters about this. They we say, need you in our office. <laughs> this is so good. But people are still submitting on it amazingly, even though they've been given un, un, less than 24 hours. And what's their submission? That the approach is abhorrent. Very. Very quickly, you've just rung a, a, a little memory in my head. Judith Collins went on Morning Report once and made a very similar comment about Santa Claus, and Morning Report ran repeated corrections reassuring um, its listeners that Santa was indeed real. Wow, for, so for she really needs listeners. to watch that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. She does indeed. Big Santa. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, let's uh, wrap that up there. This was One News Inside Parliament, your peek behind the scenes on the biggest political stories of the week inside Parliament. Do you have a burning political question? Want to hear more from us on a particular topic? Send your feedback to insideparliament at tvnz.co.nz. And just a reminder, it's not inside dot. 
Parliament. It is indeed inside Parliament. Head to onenews.co.nz for more insight and follow One News on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. All the links are in the details for this episode on your app. And if you liked this episode, maybe tell a friend to listen. One News Inside Parliament is available on all good and even average podcasting apps, where you can also leave us a rating. I'll finish by thanking our team behind the scenes, Brian and Lisa, and Felix for just being Felix. Hey, Ted Wiki, catch you next week. <laughs>